Welcome back to another episode of Run the Film. This is Ted Wynn with my co-host Kirk Morrison, where we are going to recap the Chiefs Ravens, Rams Browns, Lions Eagles, Saints Seahawks, and Niners Steelers, and then preview week four action along with our players to watch. For more content, go to theathletic.com slash run the film. Man, you gotta get a you gotta get a, a cheat sheet or something. That's terrible. That'll kill us. You like that? You like that? I'm just about that action, boss. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. You are listening to Run the Film with Kirk Morrison and Ted Nguyen, only on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome, welcome, welcome in to the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Run the Film alongside Ted Nguyen. I am Kirk Morrison. And look, we're going to sit back and review week three of the National Football League, kind of the games that we watched, see some things that maybe you didn't see out there. Then we'll look at some players to watch in week four, especially our games to watch in week four. But as we circle back to week three, I'm going to start with this, Ted. There's eight teams right now currently in the National Football League who are undefeated. There's three in the AFC, five in the NFC. And when I start with the AFC first, the three undefeated teams, obviously the New England Patriots, the Kansas City Chiefs, and then there's the Buffalo Bills. And when you look at the AFC, obviously, to me, it's a, uh, I think, a, a much tougher division or conference so far this year. A lot of teams that we still don't know, you know, which way they're going to go, left or right. Are they going to be good or going to be bad? But just focusing on those undefeated teams right now, are you surprised at any that are still undefeated right now currently? Yeah, I agree with you. I think the AFC is kind of uh, unpredictable right now. Uh, but I, I do think that the Buffalo Bills are a surprising 3-0 and team. And I, if I had to pick one of the undefeated teams out of the whole NFL that I, I'm not totally sold on, it'd be the Buffalo Bills. I really like their defense. They have a strong secondary. They have a good pass rush. They're a well-coached team. Um, I like what Josh Allen is doing. They're they're using more design runs to get use his legs more. Uh, he's still they're still you know still he's still in his second year and there's he's still learning to refine the passing game a bit. Uh, so I but I don't know if he could step up and uh, move that offense when he he needs to against some of the elite teams and he'll get a chance to because they're going to play the New England Patriots this week. Yeah, I think you mentioned it there. They're going to play New England, and the former Buffalo Bill comes out in me, Ted, because that was always the game. That was the kind of the measuring stick game for me. Um, like I said, playing for the Bills and being in that community, I remember we started off 2-0 and back in 2011, and we had beaten Kansas City to start the season. Then we had beat the Raiders. We were 2-0, and but everybody was saying – yeah, we can't believe you guys are good until we see you play against the Patriots. That day, we went out and we beat the Patriots, and which improved our record to 3-0. and And it was at that point that people really jumped on board and really started taking us serious. And I feel like right now it's kind of the same situation. You mentioned it. Like, Buffalo's 3-0, and but you're still like, uh, I don't know, quarterback. You like the defense. You, you like the head coach. But if they beat New England in week four this week, I think a lot more people will start to play 
you know, pay closer attention to the Buffalo Bills. And so I think that's going to be one uh, game that definitely, you know, people are going to look at and say, all right, the Bills are for real. That's just the AFC, right? I look at the NFC, and there's five teams right now currently that are undefeated. Well, I should say there's really four teams, and then there's one team that has this tie at the end of their record. Yeah, that's like the a Detroit Lions. Is <laughs> they're they're two zero and one, but yes, they are still undefeated. But if you look at the other teams that literally don't have a tie uh, on their record at all, we're talking about the the Rams, the Green Bay Packers, the Dallas Cowboys, and the San Francisco 49ers. Is that is there someone in that group that surprises you right now in the NFC in terms of the unbeaten's? Um, I, I, I expected the 49ers to be good. Um, so I, I can't say that I, I'm really surprised by them being three, no, because their schedule started off kind of weak, but it's still, I guess it's still kind of surprising to see them, you know, kind of follow through, uh, with expectations and, um, start the season so well. Um, and I mean, their defense looks really good and I know hurt, um, losing a kilo witherspoon hurts, but. Uh, yeah, I guess it's, it is surprising to see them start 3-0. Um, Detroit um, looks like a much improved team. Uh, like we talked about, that tie kind of you know muddies up them being undefeated. But they look like a, a well-coached team, and they have a lot of playmakers on offense. Yeah, this is a little tough one for me, Ted, because like you mentioned, Detroit, you kind of – I can't get past their wins. I mean, they beat, I think, a good Chargers team, and they've beaten the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that I, you know, kind of have put as a you know, an NFC championship game type of contender. So it's like Detroit, I'm still not on fully on board. I look at San Francisco, and I look at their wins. And to me, they play against a Jameis Winston-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that are still trying to figure it out with Byron Leftwich as offensive coordinator, Bruce Arians head coach. And then I look at their week two matchup against the Bengals and <laughs> the Bengals right now are, they're just trying to figure it out. Another survivor. Yeah. Well, <laughs> another team with a new head coach trying to establish mm-hmm. a culture. So you've got those two teams that they beat in week one and two. And then you have a team that's trying to reestablish their culture. And I'm talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers who play their first game without Ben Roethlisberger. We already know about the saga in the offseason. They don't know, no longer having Antonio Brown, no longer, you know, obviously having Le'Veon Bell. And now you add in Ben Roethlisberger, their team trying to find themselves. And so, look, hey, I understand 49ers, you go out, you play what's on your schedule and you win. They're three and oh, but I'm just not buying it. But I would honestly say this. We're not shocked about the Rams. I think we're not shocked about Dallas. But, Ted, I'm going to be honest. I am kind of shocked at Green Bay. And I say that because Matt LaFleur came in as the head coach, and we talked a lot, I think, about the friction between quarterback and head coach and what Aaron Rodgers was not going to be able to do, right? It's like, well, LaFleur is going to make him do this. And there is no more audibles in which he just runs his own play at the line of scrimmage. I've been more impressed with them, what they're doing offensively. And that's just offensively in terms of them running the football, you know, spreading some things around. But the biggest takeaway I got is how awesome, and I say awesome for a reason with a capital A, how awesome that defense has played under Mike Pettin. Mm-hmm. They've got some guys that are coming on the outside that are rushing the passer. I think the linebacking core a little more solid than I expected. And a secondary that you start to realize, 
wow, they really have been drafting for that secondary over the past couple of years. You kind of laughed at them like drafting two corners a year ago, but they're starting to play really, really well. And so I'm more shocked that I didn't think that this team would be this good this fast and this early with a new head coach in Green Bay. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And a lot of it has to do with their defense. I knew it was going to take time for LaFleur to kind of get this offense going, but you definitely see signs that it's going in the right direction. Um, They have an athletic offensive line, so the outside zone is starting to become a little more effective with each game. They play some tough defenses, too. And you're you're starting to see the potential that Aaron Rodgers has in a heavy play-action offense. He hasn't really been in one. In the past, with uh, Mike McCarthy, they kind of they were just in shotgun and they let him control everything from um, the gun. But now that he's under center and he's running these play action passes, you can see some of that. Um, you know, he, he's one of the best quarterbacks ever at throwing on a run. And when you combine that with him playing in the bootleg, that you know, there's there's some potential there. We were starting to see that. And um, like you said, the sec the, the defense is playing amazing. Jair Alexander played. Uh, we talked about him last week. Uh, one guy we didn't talk about is Darnell Savage. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he he's playing lights out too. And here's the crazy thing: um, they ch- the Saints traded up with them, I believe, and got Marcus Davenport to DN. And with the Correct. two picks that the the green that with the Green Bay got, they drafted Darnell Savage and Jair Alexander. So they just revamped their secondary with that draft, and it's paying dividends. Yeah, the only thing that I wish was that uh, Jair, I know not Jair, but Darnell Savage. If he could really, if they allowed him to change his number, let him get number 21. <laughs> and so he would be 21 Savage. Uh, that's oh, the only thing that, <laughs> that I, like I that. wish could have happened. But no, I mean, obviously they're now the team to watch Green Bay defensively. So uh, you, you kind of now with those eight undefeated teams, who is going to remain undefeated the longest in the National Football League? We'll be keeping our eyes peeled on that. But as we review the film and go over last week's games in week three, it was an undefeated matchup between teams out in Kansas City. It was 2-0 Chiefs versus the 2-0 Ravens. Being on the same page as Coach Reed, knowing why he's calling the plays that he calls, uh, having answers. Uh, they got me on a few pressures today as far as they were flipping the pressures and getting me. But uh, at the same time, I was able to adjust quicker and, and, and kind of have more success uh, earlier in the game. And to me, I thought it was going to be one of the games of the week, obviously, Ted, because you had the new young guns. It was Patrick Mahomes year three, Lamar Jackson in year two. And as you kind of watch this game, you see why if I'm a fan of the NFL right now, I'm excited because I felt like I can watch this for the next 12 to 15 years. I mean, hopefully these guys have long, long careers, but I'm watching the quarterback position in this game. And I'm also saying, is this what the NFL is going to look like over the next you know, decade, I believe? No longer are we seeing quarterbacks stand in the pocket and just make plays. We're seeing quarterbacks extend plays. We're seeing now called runs. You're seeing now quarterbacks being able to put the ball in their hands and take off and go and be able to slide, make things happen, which is just so exciting because – you're not having to worry about them taking the hits within the pocket of a great pass rush. They're able to get away from the pass rush, make some plays, score some touchdowns. I thought just watching that game and my, my early take on it before I throw it over to you, and then I'll tell you a couple plays that I really loved watching. But my first take on this is that I never felt like even if a team is up by 14, 21, maybe I, I'll put it I'll put it at about 25 to 28, all right, about that. But you never feel like 
you ha- the game is out of reach or out of hand. Never at all, because these quarterbacks have shown the ability to make things happen, and the way that they can throw the ball down the field and take some chances, I just I, I'm I'm happy where I think the NFL is heading, and I think this game kind of signified that with the Ravens and the Chiefs last week. Did you see anything uh, that that really got you going? I I love that you know we've gotten to a point where we have two of the top teams facing off and you have the Ravens with kind of their spread option attack um, that's based on a run and Lamar Jackson's ability to keep the ball on those option runs. And then you have the Chiefs who have a different type of spread offense that's kind of air raid influence. um, And it is chucking deep and, you know, Mahomes with no look passes and the ability to throw the ball deep. um, It's just a really interesting schematic matchup, you know, and, and five, 10 years ago, um, I think most NFL schemes kind of looked alike. You know, there wasn't mu- much difference. But now um, that we've moved towards a different era, um, we're starting to see more creativity, uh, different styles going against each other. And, you know, this is kind of just the beginning of uh, the stylistic matchup that we're starting to see in NFL. And I love seeing it. Um, you know, we're watching Lamar and Mahomes make these video video games type of plays. Uh, Lamar's is like juking guys out of his shoes the whole game. So that was fun to see. Um, and, and Mahomes, he, he, he's proving that he, he could play without his top playmakers, you know, like how many quarterbacks can lose Tyreek Hill and just not even you know, skip a beat and throw for three touchdowns. Like, like it's nothing, you know? So it is, it's really impressive to see and really exciting to see the league move towards this and have two young quarterbacks that can make these spectacular plays. Yeah, so I, I want to start with this because the, the Chiefs ended up winning that game 33-28. Uh, the Ravens had a chance down at the end. They it came storming back, but there was some contra- – I wouldn't call them controversial, but there was some, I guess, uh, things in which head coach John Harbaugh decided to do in terms of basically going for it uh, on fourth down, sometimes in his own territory – going for two after scoring touchdowns. It was some things in which I was kind of shaking and scratching my head a little bit. And he's just saying, I'm just playing the game the way that we think that we can go out and and win. And so I'm thinking that it could have really hurt this team, the the Baltimore Ravens, because he's playing like he's a, it's a high school game. And we know points are are at a premium or well, they're at a minimum. Sometimes if you don't get them, but when you're playing against the chiefs, every point counts. So why would you take points off the board or put your team at risk. So I saw that throughout the game, but also too, I saw in a run game that I really thought that at times Baltimore got away from, I thought Mark Ingram was having an outstanding game and he was moving the rock. He was moving the pile. I thought Lamar Jackson, their called runs were doing well. And if there's a something in which I look at the Kansas city chiefs defense, I think, look, they went out and got Frank Clark. They've got Chris Jones. I thought just the interior pass rush was there. But I thought if I wanted to run the football, I should have continued to do that because, you know, Mark Ingram rushed for over 103 yards. I felt like that he could have rushed for 200 if they would have just really, truly just the, the, the conscious effort of just running the ball, Ted, and not having to think that, oh, just because we're down, we got to play catch up and try to throw the ball down the field and stay pace with, with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I, I think I like John Harbaugh's aggressiveness against the Chiefs. I, I think his mindset was that his secondary is beat up. They're playing Patrick Mahomes. 
and you you have to try to go for touchdowns and go for big swings against the Chiefs. Um, and he had you know he talked about analytics and how they calculated all these things before the game, and these these were calculated risks they were taking. Um, so I, I kind of like the risk they were taking, but I do um, agree with you that I I think that they should have stuck with the ground game more. I thought that's that's where their advantage was. Um, you know, Lamar had a good game, but he completed 50% of his passes. Uh, he was pressing a little bit, um, and, and they were having success on the ground. So I, I thought they could have you know maybe kept the ball away from Mahomes um, a little bit by running the ball more with Mark Ingram. Uh, but I like I like that they were being aggressive. I, obviously, it didn't pay off in the end, but I, I like that that mindset. Yeah, I I love the mindset, and I think you can get away with that in week three. <laughs> you can't get yeah. away with that in week, you know, thirteen, fourteen when you get ready to go on a playoff run. Um, like I mentioned, that defense for the Kansas City Chiefs much improved. They added Tyron Matthew. We talked about the defensive line a little bit. I thought that they, for the most part. They kept, I think, Lamar Jackson in check in terms of running the football, um, passing. He was 22 of 43. They made it difficult for him. But he didn't throw for any touchdowns. But I thought that we saw a different Chiefs defense. Still not where I think that they want to be, but Steve Spagnuolo has definitely got that group trending in the right direction. And look, the secondary, I, I thought, is going to get better. But for the most part, what I saw from them, I thought they played well. And, and I think that that's probably going to be something they're going to lean on throughout this season is having to lean on that secondary to have to make some big-time plays with the rush from that defensive line. Yeah, and I think the big thing is they're not killing themselves in the secondary, like they have in the past, um, they were just so predictable. They're going to be in two man. They're going to be in cover one in these situations. And with Steve Spagnuolo, they're, they're playing different type of coverages. They're mixing things up, and they are where they're supposed to be. So they're not killing themselves. I I don't think the the, the talent in the secondary is great overall, besides the honey, the honey badger. But I I think they're at least in position, and they're forcing teams to drive. They're not giving up these huge plays in, in the passing game like they have been in, in the past. And that's a good recipe to go with their offense. Um, so if you know if their defense keeps improving, the, the Chiefs are going to keep rolling. They look like a really dangerous team. Well, look, this show is called Run the Film for a reason, right? This podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. So hopefully this visual is good enough for our listeners out there because I couldn't wait, Ted. This was my play of the week within this game. So uh, hopefully everyone out there understands it. I know you will, Ted, and so I'll try to keep this as elementary as possible. But the formation in this game that I saw, and it was a big touchdown, this was toward the end of the second quarter, right before halftime, and the Kansas City Chiefs came out, and what the formation as a defensive player that I call was Trey, meaning the tight end by himself on the left, three receivers opposite him, Patrick Mahomes in the is in the shotgun, and he had a far back in LaShawn McCoy. So I call it Trey Gun Far. But the motion guy, who was the middle receiver, was a guy, Sammy Watkins. He motioned from the number two position into becoming the number three position, which now made McCoy Hardman as the number two. And I just think the little motion there – because at the snap of the ball, you saw Sammy Watkins go up the field and take away the actual deep or the the hook player safety who was down in coverage, which was Earl Thomas. 
which left, I mean, I think some communication mishap with the Baltimore Ravens, where now McCole Harmon, who's now was before number three, turns into number two. He just streaks down the field and without the communication, just literally just ran toward the end zone. Patrick Mahomes finds him for a wide open touchdown. It just seemed like a track meet. But it's just those little small things. I thought that was the play of the week for me because so much added attention has been going on because you got to keep an eye on Kelsey, who's a tight end on the opposite of the formation. You got to look at LaShawn McCoy, who they're going to fake the ball to, you know, obviously as a, as a runner. And then you got to look at Sammy Watkins, who's been playing well so far this season, who's been a deep threat and has been taking the top off the defense. And then here's just a guy in McCole Harmon that you probably don't necessarily pay close attention to. But with that type of speed, Ted, that to me, I thought was just the play call and the play of the week. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking at the play now and it, you know, obviously – Andy Reid is so good with just getting the matchup he wants and using motion to right. dictate matchups. And man, it's it's a good recipe they have with the Chiefs. Just find <laughs> fast guys and let uh, let Reid scheme things up and just let Mahomes ch- uh, chuck the ball. Um, so, so yeah, it, it was a fun matchup, and it, it's 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 funny because it's getting to a point where like you know Mahomes throws for three hundred seventy yards, three touchdowns, and just feels like it feels like just a regular game for him. Yeah, it, it does. It, it just feels like it's way too easy. So, but but speaking of way too easy, it could be easy for Mahomes. But as we switch to our next game, Rams Browns Sunday Night Football, the Rams take that game twenty to thirteen. They go into Cleveland. They win that football game. Uh, anytime you come on the road and get a win, it's it's a good night, and we're gonna enjoy this. I'm gonna you know be upset at myself a little bit for that last series. Um, just can't make that decision there at the end, and you know the game should have been over far be far before the defense had to go back on the field, and that's on me. And uh, I'll get better from it. But the, one of the things that I saw was when you look at Jared Goff, and when you look up uh, the way that the Browns are playing right now in Baker Mayfield. And you forget that these are two number one overall picks, right? Jared Goff in 2016, Baker Mayfield in 2018. There are going to be bumps. There's going to be some adversity. But when I watch Jared Goff, even though he's the highest paid player in the NFL in terms of guaranteed money, he's still not, to me, the elite quarterbacks of a Aaron Rodgers, who we talked about earlier, or a Tom Brady you know, those types of guys, but he's adequate for their offense. He's he makes that kind of money because he's the leader of, of the Rams offense. I say I only bring that up is because you see him still tend to struggle at times in games. He had a, you know, a couple of you know bad throws in the last week's game. And you're like, man, you know, this is supposed to be the guy who's getting paid all this money. He throws a couple interceptions. But I just say, you know what? He's going to continue to get better. And if I look at Baker Mayfield, Ted, I don't know if it's a sophomore slump. I don't know if it's a situation in which he's pressing too much. A lot of it may have to do with his pocket presence, Ted. But right now, I know the Rams went in there and won. But I'm really concerned with this Cleveland Browns offense because I expected so much more from them. And I just don't think I'm getting enough. Yeah, and, you know, Freddie Kitchens was such a good play caller, play designer. Uh, when he 
took over um, last year with Mayfield. And this year, you just don't see that creativity. You don't see that organization. You don't see them in sync at all. And it just, yeah. I And they're so undisciplined, too, with the, the pre-snap penalties. Um, and when you watch Mayfield in college, the, he had a tendency to uh, kind of get out of the pocket, even though he had a clean pocket and he could have stayed for a couple more seconds. But in his rookie season, he looked like he got over that problem and he was moving and sliding around a pocket and it would show up sometimes, but not, not to, to where it became a real problem. But this year he's even with clean pockets and he had opportunity to step, step up into the pocket. He's leaving, he's bailing, he's rolling out, he's moving backwards. And that's, that's a huge problem with his offense right now. And I just don't know what they're doing on offense. Like every run against the Rams was either a draw play or a RPO. They didn't run any straight up runs and that could really help out an offensive line that that's banged up and just not very talented uh, as they are. And they have Nick Chubb, who's a downhill runner. Um, they didn't line up under center at all and run him. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's just a lot of problems on his offense right now. It feels like there's a lot on Freddie Kitchen's plate. Uh, I don't know if he should give up his play calling duties because that's where that's what got him this job in the first place. But he definitely needs to delegate his duties and kind of get back to where he was last year and get this offense back on track. Mm, but see, Ted, I think I'll push back on you a little bit and say, was it truly his play calling that got him this job or his relationship with Baker Mayfield that got him his job? Because remember, he was the quarterback's coach yeah. first last year. He was the quarterback's coach who got elevated to offensive coordinator when Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley both were fired uh, during the season last year. And the head coach became Greg Williams, who is now the defensive coordinator with the New York Jets who a lot of people thought may have shouldn't should have gotten the job the way that he coached that team to seven victories last year, <clears throat> um, you know, and got people really excited to that seven, eight and one record. And then Freddie Kitchens really just because I think his relationship with Baker Mayfield and the way that, you know, they've kind of built the chemistry together that he got the job. And now we're seeing so far that it takes a lot more than just being a quarterback's buddy. You got to be able to watch the entire team. You got to be able to see everything that's going on. And right now, it's just an undisciplined team. When I see procedure penalties, those are the ones that kill me the most, Ted. Procedure penalties. And we're talking, when I say procedure, it's illegal formation. You know, it's too many men in the backfield. It's, you know, guys false illegal starts, shifts, Ill illegal shifts. Yeah. Like th that to me, that's, that's elementary. Like, come on, man, that's high school stuff. You know, you, you got to get past that. So I think that's the bigger issue um, when I just look at, at them. And then, you know, I thought the Rams defense had, again, the same thing I call it. It's that California top-down defense. Basically, they just stayed on top. They didn't allow the big play to Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. Everything was in front of them. And so they took away the 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 slants they took away some of those big plays in which they were catch and go uh plays you know where they catch a five yard hitch or a five yard slant and they can take it the distance Akeem Tlaib Marcus Peters you didn't even hear their names because they just really didn't give up the big play and that's been huge for uh the Rams defense then you throw in Aaron Donald and he doesn't have the sack numbers but I thought that the broadcast did a great job of highlighting just how good of a player and the kind of attention that Aaron Donald draws every single play. 
And it's to a point where if I'm Freddie Kitchens and I'm knowing that Aaron Donald's across from me, um, I'm not going to have plays or run passing, run routes that are 15, 20 yards down the field. I can't do that to my quarterback. And I'm seeing Baker Mayfield get the happy feet. So overall, as I kind of assess that game, I said, look, the Rams defense won that game. Their offense sputtered at times. They scored just enough. But how far off is Baker Mayfield through three games? He's only thrown for three touchdowns, five interceptions. But the big part, right, because we always talk about, oh, I want an accurate quarterback or, man, it's accurate. Well, Baker Mayfield came out of Oklahoma as being what people consider an accurate quarterback. And right now, he's only completing 56.9% of his passes, Ted. That, to me, Every quarterback in the NFL should at least be over 60, 65 at least. And we know Drew Brees sets records at like 70%, but he's not playing right now. But that's the one thing right now. If anybody can point to me and say, what's wrong with Baker Mayfield? I say, go look at that completion percentage and call me later. That's what's wrong with the Cleveland Browns right now. Yeah, I think physically he's very active, very accurate. He can throw an accurate ball. Uh, he could throw an accurate ball off platform as well. But I think when your head is swimming all over the place and you don't know exactly what you're doing, you don't have trust in your receivers, you don't have trust in your system, that affects accuracy as well. I think that's what Mayfield is going through right now because he last year he put together too much good film, showed too much talent as a quarterback to really excuse him. Um, but right now, I think things are just a mess. And uh, you know, he, some of that has to do with him. You know, maybe he got too cocky from what he did last season, moving on this season, and he's just losing discipline with small things like footwork and going through the, the, the right process on each play. Um, so, so it's just not things are a mess in Cleveland right now. I think it's fixable, at, but I don't. It's not going to be a one week process. It's going to take some time to. You really got to kind of start from scratch and uh, reevaluate everything. Um, and, and with the Rams, one thing that's interesting is that offensively they're struggling too and you know a lot of that has to do with having to replace three players on the interior of your line Um, and also the saints started they copied um what the patriots did in the super bowl with 6-1 defense and um belichick got that from vic fangio gotta give credit to fangio too um but um the saints copied it and they had a little bit success against the rams and kind of got them to struggle but eventually the rams found a way to score 27 points um the browns copied the same game plan and um the rams kind of struggled on offense too if it wasn't for their defense uh, they might have lost this game because their their offense just wasn't great no I, i totally agree and i think the rams are a work in progress but when you have a defense like that i think that kind of gives you you know time it, it buys you time to get things you know fixed offensively like you mentioned the, the uh, three new members of that offensive line due to departures and injuries